At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Beloved, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Boy, what a, what a study we're having. And um, now I was going to do, we're going to look at the uh, 6th and 7th vision. I was going to do them separate, but they really are so intertwined and closely related that I feel the need to just teach them together. And then next week, we'll look at the eighth vision. Uh, so let's start in chapter five. I'm going to have to read verses one through 11 because it encompasses both the sixth and the seventh vision. Zechariah chapter five. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief, thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. Here's the second, here's the seventh vision. Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a blanket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lid cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Amen. Now, these two visions, which is vision six and seven, you understand now through our teaching of this book of Zechariah that the prophet Zechariah has eight visions. He has eight visions in one night, some kind of a night. And while there are eight separate visions, 
all eight visions really are connected and tied together for one major revelation that God is giving Zechariah to speak to the children of Israel, a remnant of people who have been blessed to leave the land of Babylon, come back to the holy city of Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, because the city of Jerusalem and the temple had been left in um, a devastating uh, place. It was in shambles. The city had been destroyed. The, the temple had been destroyed. The gates of the city are, are broken. The walls of the city are broken down and the gates burn with fire. But this remnant has been called by God and allowed by God to come back and rebuild the city and the temple. So then when we look at this, these two visions here, it is speaking to us about spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. Everybody just shout spiritual renewal. It's speaking to us about spiritual renewal. Now, there are eight visions. Um, vision one, two, and three are visions that speak to the children of Israel as a community, as a community. Visions four and five were visions that spoke about two particular people, one being Joshua who would serve as the high priest for reinstituting the uh, priestly um, ministry, the Levitical priesthood back in the holy city who would officiate in the temple. The second key person is Zerubbabel who is governor and he will be leading the people of Israel in building, rebuilding the city and rebuilding the facility of the temple. That's visions four and five. When we get now to this text today, which encompasses visions six and seven, these visions now go back to visions that speak of Israel as a community of faith. Now, I want to make sure that I didn't lose you. The there are a total of eight visions. The first three visions are speaking to Israel as a collective body, as a community of faith. The next two visions are speaking about two particular people and is talking about their leadership role as it relates to this, re this renewal that is to take place uh, back in Jerusalem. Then we get to uh, vision six and seven and even vision eight as well is going to now speak to Israel again as a community of faith. People who were in bondage have been allowed to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Now, this is not happening by accident, but it's happening because of the providential will of God. 
Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah told Israel before they went into captivity, he said to them that if you keep uh, offending God, that God's going to bring judgment against us and that he's going to allow the holy city to be destroyed and the temple and that you would be carried away into captivity in a strange land. But the people did not pay attention to Jeremiah. They chose to listen to false prophets who uh, allowed them to, to be at ease in Zion and to feel that their idolatrous uh, activity was going to be okay or looked over by God. The end result is that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire to come in, destroy the city, and to take Israel into captivity in a strange land, the land of the Chaldeans. But Jeremiah also told Israel, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, God's going to allow you to come back to the holy city. So there is that familiar passage of scripture that we read in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, that says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now many people stop reading right there, but we need to read on a little bit farther. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. You know, my, my wife's mother used to say, hard times will make a mule dip snuff. <laughs> You'll get that on the way home. It's amazing how trouble will bring you back to God. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your Heart. So God, who keeps his promises, at the end of 70 years, he will use the Persian king Darius to allow a first remnant to come back to Jerusalem. This will not be the only remnant, but this is the beginning remnant. He allows the Persian king Darius to let this group be the first group who will make their way back to Jerusalem. In the book of Haggai, and I won't turn there because I want to make the most of time. In the book of Haggai, because Haggai, along with Zechariah, they are post-exilic prophets. Both of them are the prophets who ministered to Israel, to this remnant, when they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. In the book of Haggai, we're told that God stirred up. He stirred up Joshua, who's gonna serve as high priest back in Jerusalem for reinstituting the Levitical priesthood. We're told that God stirred up Zerubbabel, the governor, 
to be one of the leaders to help lead Israel in this renov uh, renovation and renewal process. When God is moving, and this is where it's going to tie in again to the teaching on Sunday morning with the seven spirits of God. Because you see, the anointing of God, which you understand is not a fuzzy feeling, the anointing of God is what? It is the presence of God and the power of God that operates where? In our lives, all right? The Holy Spirit is not there to make you shout. You can shout if you can remember, but the Holy Spirit is there to bring um, revelation. He's there to equip us. He's there to empower us for Christian living. So there are times, listen carefully, when the Spirit of God will place an unction upon your life. The Spirit of God will, will stir you. He'll give you a holy discontent. The, the Spirit of God will lasso you, grab you, give you a revelation that says, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. I am moving you in this direction. So the initiative is God's initiative. Then we respond to the initiative of God. When we respond to the initiative of God, then God is able to work out his will and his way, not only for our personal lives, but he's able to work through us for a larger purpose that God is carrying out in the world as it relates to the kingdom of God. Are you still with me? Everybody shout, Order. Order. This is a wonderful word for us today. Oh, it's a marvelous word. It's a magnificent revelation because it's helping us to understand the order of the kingdom of God. I said it's helping us to understand the order of the kingdom of God. See, our problem, beloved, is most of us, if not all of us, have lived the majority of our lives operating on the level of religious order. There is a great difference between religious order and the order of the kingdom of God. I contend that a great majority of church people don't really know what the kingdom of God is all about. And thereby, individually and collectively, as a church or church is, we can be completely missing 
what God is really calling us to do and what he has saved us to do because we're not operating with the right mindset. And so you can understand when God says to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Because when you start talking about the workings and the operations of the kingdom of God, none of us can fulfill God's calling, God's purpose for our lives as it relates to the kingdom of God unless God working through us enables us and empowers us to do it. I couldn't even stand here right now and teach you this lesson today if it wasn't for the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. And how many individual Christians and how many churches are satisfied with just being religious but having no spiritual consciousness of God. I'm talking about the order of the kingdom of God. Religious order has more to do with denominations. And I'm not anti-denomination, I'm really not. I'm not anti-denomination. I've been a part of at least two. I was raised up in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, St. John AME, Nashville, Tennessee, 21st and Formosa, the AME church, that's a denomination. Then I've been a part of the Baptist denomination for many years since then. That's another denomination. Then you have the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, that's a denomination. You have the Church of God in Christ, that's a denomination. You have the Presbyterians, that's a denomination. You have the Lutherans, that's a denomination. Um, you have this, uh, the Assembly of God, that's a denomination. And then there's only God knows how many variations of what they call the Holiness Church. That's, that's a denomination. Uh, you have the Catholic Church, it could be spoken of as a denomination. The Episcopalians, it could be spoken of as a denomination. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, I really don't. God didn't start denominations. God didn't do that. That's what we did. Man started denominations. And men started denominations as they struggled with the word of God to understand how God wants us to operate as it relates to the order of the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying that people didn't have good intentions. I think that they did have good intentions. I'm just giving you a quick 100,000 feet revelation as it relates to how denominations have come into existence. It has to do with people's struggle to understand the order of the kingdom of God. 
So no denomination, no denomination can say they got it all right. All any denomination can say is they have some light, L-I-G-H-T. But they ain't got all the light. I can say, you can look at any denomination and find that all of them have some, some light. But the problem is that it doesn't take us long to build traditions and then get stuck in those traditions until the tradition has veered away from the word of God. And all you gotta do is look at the Pharisees and the scribes. When you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what does it say in the Gospel of John about Jesus? And he came among his own. He came among the religious people. He came among those who were the descendants of the children of Israel. And the Pharisees and the scribes saw themselves as being what? Keepers of the law. John says he came among his own, but his own received him not. They rejected the highest revelation that God had ever given to mankind, the church rejected him. The religious people turned him down. And the Pharisees and scribes said about Jesus, they said he was a devil because they struggled with his miracles. The Bible says in Mark's gospel that Jesus came and he taught not as the scribes, but he taught as one who had power and authority. He went into the synagogue one day. The people were, used to come into church. Scribes speak, but they didn't have no power. Jesus speak, and they said, we ain't never heard it on this order. And a man possessed with a demon was at church. And Jesus delivered the man from the unclean spirit. The folks said, this first time that we done went to church and heard somebody speak and what they said reached us in a way that we knew this wasn't ordinary. And on top of that, this preacher can deal with demons. We ain't seen it like this. The, the Pharisees and the scribes were steeped in tradition. They were so steeped in tradition until they added things to the law. It, it wasn't in the law, but they added it to the law. So they made religion a burden too heavy to bear. But when Jesus comes, he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. See, every rabbi had a yoke. Jesus was looked upon as a what? A rabbi. Every rabbi had a yoke. Every rabbi had a set of teachings. Jesus said that the Pharisees and scribes made people a child of hell twice. 
And what God is showing us in the book of Zechariah and what he shows us throughout scriptures is God is showing us his order for the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it today and I'm going to say it again Sunday. It's amazing to me how this teaching I'm doing in Zechariah is lining up so powerfully with this teaching about the seven spirits of God, but it'll line up when God is the one who's given the, who's given the direction for the teaching. See, all I'm saying to you is what God has said to me in, in my prayer and in my study. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. Um, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an order that God is showing us. So I'm gonna say it now, I'm gonna say it again Sunday. The pandemic that we just came through, in a very real way, it has been a blessing in disguise. Because while God didn't cause the pandemic, he can use the pandemic. Because in the pandemic, what God has been doing is resetting the world. You know, reset the world. Resetting the world, resetting the church, and resetting our lives. Are you, are you still with me? Robert Holmes, who is on tour, he's gone all over the country, riding in his new Corvette C8, black with red interior. He's gone all over America. I think he just left Delaware, and he's on his way to Wyoming. He bought this car, he went out one day in the garage and he couldn't get it to, to start. It wouldn't turn over. So he thought the battery was dead and something was wrong. You buy a new car sometimes. It's a, you know, just one of those things that, that something major is wrong with it and they just got to fix it. He thought the battery was dead. So he was going to call the Chevrolet, Bachman Chevrolet, to come get his car, take it back to the dealership, and perhaps they need to put a new battery in it. His son, Justin, said, Daddy, you ain't got to do that. He said, your car is so new in terms of technology. He said, it ain't operating like the former cars. He says, everything is computerized. He says, all you need to do is go out there, cut it off, and reset it. Just reset it. Take everything down and reset it, because it's like a computer. It's got this big, this panel. You reset that panel, Daddy, everything gonna come right back to where it's supposed to be. He went out there and reset it, Zoom! Started right up. The car wasn't dead, but it needed to have a reset. God been looking at this world. God's been looking at the church. 
God's been looking at my life. God says, I need to shut you down and then give you a reset. But I can't do a reset unless I shut you down. You know what the pandemic did? It shut the world down. Yeah. 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 Couldn't come into the sanctuary. Shut down. Can't go to the mall. Shut down. Yeah. God says, I'm going to shut you down for a period of time and then I'm going to let you come back. But the shutdown is a time to reset. Because there's an order that God has for the kingdom. When you look at church history, Brother Hurt, there has been what we call several spiritual reformations. Like the reason there's a Baptist church and all these other Protestant churches is that there was the Protestant Reformation, where we broke away from the Catholic church. And there have been other reformations. I contend that what's taking place in the world right now is that there is a spiritual reformation taking place right now under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you ultimately where it's going to lead. The reformations that are taking place in the world currently under the direction of the Holy Spirit is ultimately going to lead to the restoration that will take place when Jesus Christ comes back. Because when he returns, he's going to restore all things to where God always wanted it to be. Can I give you a reason to holler now? With all of us who are saved, God did not save you to be a cute Christian or to be a little cute church person to give God two hours on Sunday and then you ain't got nothing to do with him no more until next Sunday. God, brother, God, sister has saved you so you can be his reference point so that he can work through your lives on an everyday basis to help implement his reformation, his process of restoration in the earth realm. God wants us to change Louisville. And God knows we need to change Three juveniles put a gun to A. Russell Arca's head to steal his car. Three juveniles, 12. I don't know the age of the third one. When I was 12, I was playing junior non-hole baseball. What's a 12-year-old got to do with having a gun and robbing a preacher? What's a 20-year-old, for that matter? And then this week, one black man downtown takes a knife and slits two people's throat, and then I'm told another one takes a hammer and hits somebody in the head. What is coming of our city? And who can help 
change that. It's the church. But you need power to do that. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The sixth and seventh vision, Zechariah in the sixth vision sees a scroll. But the scroll ain't rolled up. The scroll is spread out. It's 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. And it's just floating, as it were, or flying, if you want to use that term, in the air. Can't nobody miss it. It's 30 feet long, 15 feet wide. And it's got writing on both sides. And the writing is bringing a conviction notice to people. One, it is, it is, it is saying to people who are guilty of stealing that God ain't pleased with the way you're living. It's bringing conviction to people who are guilty of perjury, bearing false witness, not only against your neighbor, but perjury because you're misrepresenting the name of God. Those two crimes, if you please, or those two acts of failure are mentioned where? In the Ten Commandments. And the question is raised, well, why just those two? The Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, speak to us vertically about our relationship with God, the first four. The last six commandments speak to us about our horizontal relationship with one another. First four, vertical, relationship with God. Last six, horizontal, relationship with one another. A certain scribe said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Vertical. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Horizontal. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in the thief and in the perjurer, these two failures really represent, in a way, all of the Ten Commandments. Vertical and horizontal. And God says that, that I ain't pleased with this act of failure. And so judgment is brought against those who, who commit these acts. The judgment is coming because the, these, these acts of sin are not acts that you did by accident. To do these, you have to make a choice. It's a decision that you make. This kind of sin is not something I didn't mean to do it. Um, it happened and I did better and moved on. No, this is repetitive sin. 
which means that one is, is unrepentant. You're, you're not responding to God. You're not trying to honor his name. This is the person who's, who is impenitent. They, they, they're not willing to change. They're not willing to repent. That's a bad place to be. And God is saying, I ain't overlooking it. And you can't get by because this scroll, you can't miss it. Everybody's, you know how they have the planes doing derp and they got the banners behind the plane and they keep flying in a circle all over Louisville to advertise? Well, just look at a big scroll with no plane. <laughs> yeah. Written on both sides. Then, in the second vision, Zechariah says, the angel says, look at this, and there is a measuring basket, uh, what they call an ephah. And an ephah would hold about five gallons. And in this basket, there's a woman in the basket. A normal-sized woman ain't gonna fit in this measuring basket that holds five gallons. So it becomes a grotesque picture as you see two other women push this woman down in this basket, put a lid over the basket, and then these two women, like storks, take the basket, fly away, and take it away from Jerusalem back to Babylon because the woman represents wickedness. She represents wickedness across the land. And they take the basket away from Jerusalem back to Babylon and set it upon a pedestal like a throne. So there's a contrast between in the temple, there is the holy place and the holy of holies. The temple will represent the throne of God. But this basket in the vision that's taken back to Babylon and set on a pedestal will represent the throne of mankind. And the throne of man then is in conflict with the throne of God. The ways of the world in contrast with the way of Christ. In Ephesians, Paul speaks of it as the spirit of the age. And that's the conflict, brothers and sisters, we're dealing with in the world today. It is culture versus Christ. It is the mindset of the world and the mindset of God. In Corinthians, after Paul talks about how God gives us revelation, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things God has prepared, right? 
And then he says, but these things must be spiritually discerned. He says the natural man cannot receive it because they must be spiritually discerned. When you get to the end of that pericope, then there is this phrase that says, but we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, around verse 5? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say in Romans? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of what? Your mind. That you may do what? That you may prove what? What is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So when you combine vision six and vision seven, what God is saying to us is that this is a time, beloved, of spiritual renewal. God says to the people, the individuals who take me lightly and who are unrepentant and who do acts of sin, acts of evil by choice, God says, you need to know that I'm going to deal with you. you. You may get by for a minute, but you ain't nearly going to get away. God says, as a whole, as a whole, that means corporately, community, God says, I'm going to eradicate wickedness. I'm, I'm in my own way and in my own time. I'm going to clean things up because I have an order. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc of the moral universe may be long, but it's bent toward justice. And God says, I'm going to eliminate. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to take it out of the city, take it back to Babylon, because Babylon represents that contingency that ain't in alignment with me. Before Israel went into Babylonian captivity, they were people who had the law. They were people who were called by God. They were not called because they were so holy, so large in number, so strong. It was just God's providential will to call Israel. They are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God called Abraham, says, I'm going to make your name great. I'll make you the father of a great nation. Through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, we're in that blessing. That's what the choir was singing about Sunday. God told Abraham early, the, the, the nation that's going to come from your loins are going to be in bondage for 400 years. Now that's Israel in bondage in Egypt. And God says, but after 400 years, I'm going to get them out. So then that's Moses going down to Goshen and telling Pharaoh the brickyard is under new management and told Israel, you shouldn't have the mind of a slave because you were not called to be a slave all your life. And I've come as the deliverer. Who sent you? I am that I am. He's the one that sent me. 
they get delivered. They enter into a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. God says, if you would be my people, I would be your God. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In Peter, Peter says that you and I today, we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I wish I could get you to understand, you ain't ordinary. You're extraordinary. You somebody, because you belong to God. Israel had the responsibility of carrying God's name, keeping God's word, and being a witness to other people that they would come to know who Yahweh is. Who is the one referred to as Jehovah? Isaiah said they were to be a light unto the nations. That's no different, brothers and sisters, for you and I today. We have the privilege of carrying his name, Christian. We have his word that we're supposed to obey. And we have a calling to make disciples of all nations. What got Israel in trouble, what got Israel in trouble and caused them to have to go into bondage for 70 years is they got away from the word and they disobeyed God. They start worshiping false gods like Baal and Ashtoreth and giving other false gods the glory that's only due to God. Now that God is allowing them to come back to Jerusalem, the spiritual renewal is a call for them to get back in this word, to get back to the law, obey the law, and carry yourself in a particular manner. Nobody can have a relationship with God and not accept the responsibility that comes with the relationship. I'm about through, beloved, it's 11.53. No one can have a relationship with God and not accept the responsibilities that come with the relationship. Israel's mistake don't miss this, please. Israel's mistake is they thought that because they had the temple and the Ark of the Covenant resided in the temple, they thought they could carry themselves and conduct themselves any kind of way they wanted to and they were safe because of the representation of the temple and they saw themselves as being safe under the auspices of the temple. That's the mistake that they made and that's the mistake that the church is making today. Just because you go to church on Sunday, you ain't safe under this building. You ain't safe. Just because you say, I'm a Christian, and you put it in your resume, that you know, you carry the title. I carry the title, I'm a Christian. But I ain't trying to live like one. I ain't trying to follow Jesus. I ain't trying to be obedient to him. I'm not pursuing holiness. I'll use the title Christian, but I'm gonna carry myself any kind of way. We think we safe. God is telling the church, you ain't safe. 
Because organized religion, denominationalism, no, that ain't your covering. God is our refuge and a very present help in a time of trouble. People ask me now, you know, some of my colleagues, they, Malone, you, we, we don't know what you are. We thought you were Baptist, but you anointing people with oil, and you keep talking about what God said, and you ain't got no problem with people speaking in tongues. You, you seem to be more Kojic or Pentecostal than anything else. A, a young lady visited our church not long ago, and she came from another city that is like a Pentecostal church. She, she says, she says, when I came, they told me, the, the visual church, they said it was Baptist. She said, she, she asked one of the staff people, who are y'all? She said, because you don't really look like you're Baptist. You, you look more like where I came from. So, so Joe, I decided that rather than trying to give people a history of my spiritual formation in church life, when they asked me, who am I? I told them, I tell them, I'm just trying to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed of having grown up in the AME Church. I'm not ashamed of having been part of Baptist Church. But, but I'm not focused on a denomination. What I'm focused on is Jesus. That's what I'm focused on. It's 11.57. Let me close my book. <laughs> Sometimes these old songs rise up in me, Joe. They used to sing, Brother Kesa loved this song. Get right, church, and let's go home. That's what they said. They said, get right, church, and let's go home. Somebody said, I'm going home on the on the, well, I think the first time I'm going home on the evening train. Now, Brother Kesa would really go in on that third verse. Evening train may be too late. So he says, I'm going home on the morning train. Church, this text is speaking to us about spiritual renewal, and God is saying to us, get right, church, and let's go home. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.